As I said, this text is an invitation. But what's it an invitation to? Jesus invites us here in this passage in no uncertain terms to pray. (laughs) This is a very simple appeal to us to pray. And he asks us to pray to the God of the universe. To pray to the one true God who created everything. And this one true God is inviting us through prayer to a banquet. To a feast of good things. The host of the banquet, God, the Father of all creation, invites us to call Him Father. And we've looked in weeks past. We once were enemies, but now God wants us to refer to Him as Father. The minute we've believed in Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Father. And this banquet that He's inviting us to, this feast, is full of good things should we accept His invitation. And yet there's so many times, tragically, that you and I, you and I, struggle to take him up on this invitation. There are times in our lives when we RSVP to this invitation with, sorry God, but I'm real busy. I don't have time to ask and to seek and to knock. I've got tons of things going on at work. I'm multitasking through a multitude of things, and I don't have time To take you up on this invitation. I've got events to run through right and left. We're out of town all the time. My business has me traveling. And it's hard to squeeze in a little time to ask and to seek and to knock. And you know what the truth is? We are so busy, every one of us in this room, that we don't have time not to pray. I love this. I read in George Mueller's biography, he was a uh, a founder and, a, and an administrator of orphanages in Britain in the 1800s. And one day in his journal, he wrote, I am going to be so busy today that I must wake up an hour earlier so that I can get two hours of prayer instead of one so that I can accomplish all that I've got to accomplish in this day. Don't you love that? I am so busy in life right now that I need to pray more is what he said. Boy, we need that kind of attitude about prayer. Because the more busy we are, the more distracted we are, and the more fragmented we get, and the more distance begins to grow between us and our Father in heaven. So when we're busy, that's a call to prayer so that we don't drift off into the wild blue yonder. We also RSVP with this. Thanks for the invitation, God, but uh, all my needs are already being met. And I don't need what you have to offer. I've turned to the world, and the world is satisfying my needs quite well. We do this when things are so well, and when we're prospering, our prayer life seems to evaporate, and it takes something stark to grab our attention to get us back on our knees. And Jesus Christ here this morning is inviting us to ask, to seek, to knock, to pray without ceasing often. To the Father who is ready to answer with good things. So I want you to consider this as an invitation this morning to pray. And I want us to look at what Jesus promises us. And there's four promises in this passage. There are four promises 
to what will come to us if we pray appropriately to our Father who is in heaven. And let's look first at three of these promises that are found in verses 7 and 8. Let's recite those passages, those verses real quick. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. There are three promises here. And they're expressed two times. So we've got a three-peat twice. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. And if we do this, we will get answers to these requests that we made of God. We love the sound of this verse, don't we? I like this verse. In fact, this is a nice break from everyone who's angry in his heart is liable to judgment. Isn't this a, a, a nice little break? Isn't this a good break from if you look at someone with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery? Those are true verses, and they were penetrating verses. But I love this now. Jesus almost puts pause on, and he says, hey, ask, seek, and knock, and you're going to get. I like that. But we've got to be careful. Oh, we've got to be careful with what we do with this type of language from Jesus. If we are honest... And we looked back through the Sermon on the Mount and everything that we've looked at right now. We, we've been told to be poor in spirit. We've told to be mourners. We've told to be, be meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, salt and light, not angry, not lustful. Don't make oaths that we're not going to keep. Don't retaliate. Love our enemies. On and on and on. Don't be hypocrites practicing our righteousness for other people to see. Don't be anxious. Don't store up treasures on earth. Hear all these? We are guilty, many of us in this room, of all of those. And many, for sure. And here we get this break, and that we want deliverance from all of that. And Jesus is telling us, you can be delivered from all of that that I've cautioned you against. If you will ask, seek, and knock. Jesus says, you are in bondage to everything that precedes this in the Sermon on the Mount. You're in bondage. And I want to free you from it. And the only way you're going to be free is if you ask your Father in heaven. That's what's going on here. And so three times he calls us to go for the Lord on these things. And he repeats it twice. So I think we need to see there is emphasis here. Jesus is urging us in an extreme way to buy what he's offering us. Yeah, there's three promises. Ask, seek, and knock. And the emphasis is very clear. And I want to break down these three promises, these three invitations. And I want to do it in reverse order. Okay? Because when I look at ask, seek, and knock, there's some differences in these three. And the difference is, is really surrounding the proximity that we are in relation to God. Watch this. Let's, let's invert this and let's look first at knock. That's the last one. I want to look at knock first. When Jesus says, knock and it will be open to you. Perhaps you are not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps you're outside of the house of God. And there's a door blocking your entrance. And you need to come up to this door because you're not yet a Christian. And you need to knock on this door so that you can be given entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, come knock on this door. And if you knock on this door with a genuine heart saying, 
Father, I need you. I need to be in your presence. Would you please let me into your house through your son, Jesus Christ, who is the door? If you ask with that genuine heart, it will be opened to you. So here's an appeal this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, the God that made you, the God whose image you bear, invites you to knock on the door of his kingdom and ask for entrance into his presence. That's good news. Because you have done everything that Jesus has spoken against, if not many things, prior to this. And he's saying, if you come and knock on the door, forgiveness is for you, and you can come in and you can actually call God Father. That's a great invitation. What would prevent you from accepting that? Look at the next one. Let me do one thing first. Listen to Romans 10.9. We said this verse last week with Briley Seaborn as she was baptized and acknowledged her faith and trust in Jesus Christ through baptism. We've got Romans 10.9 that says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And then verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hear right there, everyone who calls on the Lord shall be saved. I hear, knock, and it will be opened unto you. So this is the invitation. This is what it means to knock on the door. It is to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and to believe that God the Father raised him from the dead. That is knocking on the door. And I urge you this morning, knock on that door if you have not. God bids you to come in. And be one of his and to reside in the kingdom of heaven. Look at next, the the, the next one. Seek. Seek and you will find, Jesus calls us to do. Well, perhaps you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You have already knocked on that door and been granted entrance. But now as a believer, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But there is distance between you and the Father. I know what this feels like. I know what both of these feel like so far. There's distance. I am a citizen. He is my father. Yet there's this spance between us. We're not close like we ought to be. And really what's going on is, I find every time when this happens, I am not delving into the word of God. And when I don't read this, distance is an automatic. It is an automatic. And so if you're not reading and applying the word, this affects your proximity to God. And I guarantee you it affects your prayer life. And you're not going to seek or ask if you're not in the word of God. Just a quick side note. We have been trying as a congregation to read through scripture this year through through a Bible reading plan. Let me tell you, October 1st was a very significant day. Because that's the day that we flipped over into the New Testament. And what's today, the 10th or so? the 13th of October. So you could start right now with just the New Testament and finish the year strong by conquering the New Testament in your Bible and you would see that your proximity to God would intensify and increase. So I urge you this morning, pick up with the New Testament and join us as we read through the end of this year. It's a great second chance to get into the Word for these next three months. 
And so Jesus invites us to seek after God, to go look for him. And I'm telling you, the only place you're going to find him is in the Bible. You're going to find him right here in the Bible. You're also going to find him right here in our fellowship on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. Can, can I hear someone agree with me that we find God when we gather together in our three occasions a week? Can I hear it? This is where we are to seek him in his word and in his church. And he says, come look for me and you will find me. You will find me in the word and you'll find me. May it be true at Rocky Point Baptist Church. Listen to this. There, there is a, a Bible full of eras in the history of Israel where they've gotten distant from God. This Old Testament is chock full of it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in 27, just listen to this. This is Israel, his covenant people. And the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. And then listen to this. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Israel had distance between herself and her God. And God said, if you will turn your heart and you will seek after me with all of it, you're going to find me. I will be found by you. And we are Israel. You and I identify so well with Israel because there's times that we drift, we get away from the word, we get entangled in the entrapments of this world that we live in and all the hardships that are coming at us right and left and all the perversions that we're tempted with and we get distant. And God says to us, if you seek me with all your heart, even though you're there, you'll find me. That's a great invitation. May none of us say no thanks to that invitation. We are desperate to be in close proximity to our God. Proverbs eight seventeen, God says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. How diligent are you seeking God? How diligent are you reading your Bible? Because he's here he is here. How diligent are you plugged into your church? Because he's here. Let's look at the third one now. Ask. We flip these upside down. Knock first. Seek second. Now Jesus tells us to ask. I see here that we perhaps are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So we don't need to knock on the door. We've already done that. We don't need to seek God because we are thriving in our Bible reading. We are thriving and loving on one another in church. And so it's almost like God is right here. Almost tangible. And Jesus says in those moments when you sense the presence of God, presence of God, ask Him. Have a conversation with Him. When you're driving to Granbury for work or shopping or whatever, pray behind that windshield. When you're driving downtown, when, you get, when you're waiting in line at Taco Casa to get your food, pray, ask. God is right there with you. Have a relationship with him. 
because he's ever present in good times and in times of need. So here's an invitation from Jesus to everybody in this room. Some of you need to knock on that door and get into the kingdom of heaven. Some of you need to seek him because you have drifted away from him. God's not moved. You've moved. And some of you need to just enjoy the moment because God is ever present. But in all cases, we're all called to pray. We're all called to pray. Psalm 32.6 on this ask section of the verse. Psalm 32.6 says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, God, at a time when you may be found. Right now in life is a time that God can be found. So ask of him. And we'll see in a moment that he wants to answer us in a positive way. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So you've got a nearness to the Lord. You need to act on that and you need to ask him because he's right there. You don't need to seek him. You don't need to knock. You just need to ask him because he's right there. Let's look at the next part of this passage, though. Let's look at verse 9. Matthew 7, 9. Or which of one of you, if his sons asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus here uses a very simple analogy. I love Jesus' analogy. Sometimes they're tricky, but this one is very plain. No human father in his right mind with a right heart is going to deny his son something he needs. No human father in his right mind when his son asks for bread is going to say, here, just take this rock. It looks like bread. Enjoy. No human father, Jesus says, when his son is hungry for a fish is going to say, hey, here's a snake. It's not going to happen. And then he says, if you then who are evil, tough language, but we're evil in that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God is perfectly pure and holy. There's not one ounce of evil in him. But we have this struggle because we live in fallen human flesh. And we needed everything in the Sermon on the Mount up to now. And so if we struggle with this flesh and have evil tendencies from time to time, yet we still do good for our son. How much more will your holy God in heaven, who only is pure and holy and righteous, how much more will he give good things to you? So he goes from the lesser me with my son, I can give him good things even though I'm a fallen man. If that's true, then how much more would God, who's perfect, give perfectly good things to me if I ask him? The ultimate good gift that God gave us was the death of his son and forgiveness and salvation in Christ. Think about that. We had a big time need. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God gave the gift. If we profess with our mouth that he's Lord and if we believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved So our God meets our most important, critical, dire need. We need salvation. We need to be right with him. And it comes only through Jesus Christ. 
And John 10 says, Jesus, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone would come through me. And here he says, knock on that door and you'll be admitted entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And so we have here a God who gives us good things. He's given us eternal life and salvation and forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if God would give us that, will He not also give us other things we need? Is He going to let us starve to death? Is He going to let us go unclothed? No, we're not to be anxious for those things because life is more than food and the body's more than clothing. He died for us and so He's going to meet those needs as well because He's met the most important need. Psalm 84.11 For the Lord God is a sun and shield. This is the memory verse this week that we've put in the bulletin. You need this. Devour this verse in the next few days. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. You need bread? He's got bread for you. This is the bread of life, the words of Christ. But we need to be careful. Oh, we need to be careful with verses like this. There are so many that abuse language like this in the Bible. God is not a genie in a bottle. We cannot take this verse to say, whatever I ask for, he promised he's going to get it, so bring it on, God. This is not what this verse is talking about. This is not a name it and claim it your best life now verse at all. There's a key passage in the book of John that Jesus gives us that we must read in line with and parallel to what he tells us here in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to turn there with me. Let's go to John chapter 14. We're going to look at a verse in 14 and in 16. You need to write in your margins in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. You need to write these verses so that you'll jump over to them three, three months from now when you read this verse again. You need to write this so that you connect these verses and you don't walk away with a wrong impression for what Jesus is telling us. John 14, we'll read 13 and 14. Jesus says to his disciples, and this is the night that he's about to be betrayed. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now jump over to John 16 real quick, maybe a page or two over. Verse 23 and 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Boy, it sounds like the Sermon on the Mount a lot there at the end. The key in these two verses is that we are to ask in the name of Jesus. What's in a name? Because that's the key. Now let's boil it down. In the name of. What does it mean to ask in the name of Jesus? Well, I'm going to tell you that the name of Jesus is the very essence 
of Jesus. It is the character of Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves. And so there's meaning behind this name. It's not just Joe. It's not, no offense, Joe. It's not just Don. This is a name that has some really, really explicit meaning. God saves is what Jesus means. And we are to ask in his name. And so asking in his name is to ask within the character and the will of Christ. But so often, guilty as charged, so often our prayers look like we're asking in our name. We're asking according to our will. And our prayers are tainted because we're asking in accordance with our fallen character. James 4, 2 through 3, we're warned of this. You do not have, James says, because you don't ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. How many times have we prayed according to our passions? And not within the name of Christ for what we need. So you read Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and you say, name it and claim it. But you read these other verses and say, no, name it in the name of Christ. And it's got to be according to his will, not mine. And if it's according to mine, James says, I'm not going to receive because God's not going to give me that. It would not be a good thing. It would be a bad thing. So we have to be very careful when we see verses like this, that we don't run off into the wild blue yonder and and think that we've got some liberty and some license as a Christian now to get whatever we want because we've knocked on that door and gone into that house. What if we ask for bad things? Have you ever asked for bad things? I have. At the time, I might not have even known it, but I've asked... For bad things. What if we asked God for a stone or a serpent to eat instead of bread or a fish? Jesus says, we have a God that's not going to give us that. Yes, that's good news. Sometimes we do. We ask for a stone because we're hungry. And God says, no, you need bread. I'm going to give you bread. And we might be torqued for a moment. Man, I really wanted that stone. But God gives good gifts. So he denied us our request that was according to our will, and he fulfilled our request according to his, and that would be that we would get bread or fish. God only gives good gifts to his children. And I thought about this in my personal life. Here's a, here's a, it's kind of silly, but it's a good application to this. There was a time that I lived in Arlington, Texas, I lived on Randall Mill Road and Pennant Drive, right across from the old Arlington Stadium. I was young in my career, not yet married. I had the ultimate bachelor set up. I lived across the street from the parking lot of the Ranger Stadium. And I'd get off work, and I'd make a ham sandwich for dinner and a, and a box of macaroni, right? And I would eat that, and after the fat fifth inning, you could go to the Ranger game for free. They didn't charge you after the fifth inning. Went to 30... 38 baseball games that year. And every time Nolan pitched, I was there. And there was a time that I thought, you know what the coolest thing would be? The coolest thing would be to be the human resources director for the Texas Rangers. 
because I was in HR. And there was a time that they actually had an opening. And there was a time that I actually prayed, God, if it would be your will, would you give me that job? (laughs) And I didn't get it. And I'm telling you that it would have been the worst thing ever if God would have granted me that request. Let me tell you why. This is silly. It's simple. But I think it'll make the application. If I become the human resources director for the Texas Rangers, every time they had a game, I would be at work. And I would work late at night. That is not good for a wife and later on some kids. But I would work all night long at a Ranger game. And the reason why I like Ranger games is because I like to sit out in the stands and watch the game. But when you're human resources for the Rangers, you're not going to watch the game. The very love that I have for baseball is going to be deprived of me now, and I'm not going to get to actually go and sit and watch a game because I'm going to have to be working with vendors that are walking the aisles and and all kinds of crazy personnel issues that come up while people are at work during a Ranger game, right? And so what would end up happening is I would probably never want to go to a baseball game again because that used to be work for me, and now I associate work with Ranger games, and I've lost the joy of going and watching baseball. Real simple analogy. You get it? But now let's apply that over to all kinds of things in life. You may, there may be a job that you just are dying to get. If I could just get that job. And that might be the worst thing you could ever be given. Because that job might keep you out of town away from your family. That job might tempt you in ways of of temptation that you would never be tempted if you were in a job that God's designed you to be. You may desire money. And financial security, but that might be the worst thing that God could ever give to you because in that you would use that to forsake him. In that you would spend money to fuel your passions, your sinful passions and accumulate toys galore and totally harm all the relationships with the people that you had because now you've got to spend this money and use what you spend it for. You see how this is like getting a stone when you really need bread? There are times that you and I are tempted to pray for things that that we want with a passion. And praise be to God, he says no, because they're not good things for us. So he's not a genie in a bottle that we rub and poof, give me three wishes. No, our father treats us like a father. He knows our needs. And when we pray in accordance to our needs according to his will... He will give them to us and they will be good. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. I'll tell you. You and I don't want everything that we could be inclined to ask for. You don't want everything that you're ever going to ask for. I promise you. And you also don't want to be the one that determines whether or not you get it. Because you and I live in a fallen condition. We have been tarnished by sin. And we don't have good, pure judgment. And we are easily distracted and chasing after the things that are not of God. And we need a God who will only give us good things when we ask according to His will. And praise God, he doesn't give us serpents when we ask for fish. That is worthy of worshiping him and acknowledging him as a good, faithful father in heaven. 
I've got one more for you. You know, there's a time in, in, in our lives that, that we might pray for a spouse. I, I used to pray for a wife. Um, and there are times that we've prayed for a spouse and we're not given a yes to that prayer. Or we're stunned and we're given yes to someone else that we never really prayed for. God gives good gifts, remember this. And God wants us, those that he's called into marriage, to be married. And he wants us to have a good marriage and a good husband or wife. And we must view the spouse that God's given us as a good gift. What God has joined together, let no man separate. If we are married, that's God's gift to us. It's not a stone. It's not a serpent. It's bread. It's a fish. That spouse that we're married to is a good and perfect gift from God. But there's times it doesn't feel so, right? There's times that we're looking and saying, is this a good gift? And I'm here to tell you this morning, it is. It is. But it takes work. And it takes effort. And it takes worship of God to make that marriage hum the gospel. And so we need to look at our marriages not as curses, but as precious, holy, perfect, good gifts. And if it doesn't feel that way, what am I doing wrong? How Christ-centered do I need to get to make this marriage feel like a good gift? Because God has joined us together, let no man separate us. Marriage is a gift. It's not a curse. And even in those seasons of life where it feels like that, we have to determine ourselves to say, "Uh uh-uh, this is a perfect gift from God. We can't say, I didn't pray for this. And we prayed for a spouse, and in his sovereignty, he gave us who he gave us. And this is his gift that we are to nurture and polish and promote and lift up and worship him in. So no marriage is a bad gift if both people are seeking Christ, right? So God saw that it was good in the garden. It was not good that man was alone, right? And then he made Eve and he saw that it was very good. So this is a good gift, marriage, and we need to treat it as such. So then here's where we'll, we'll run down to the finish line. What then should we ask for? If we are to ask for God, and if God's going to give us good gifts, and it's not a name it and claim it, what should we ask God for? And I just did a quick survey. I'm not going to do this to you. I did a quick survey, and I came up with about 38 things in the New Testament that we see people in the Bible asking God for. Okay. I'm going to just share with you five or six, and they'll go quick. We are to ask God for daily provisions. Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. There's one. Daily bread. We are to ask for forgiveness for our sins. Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We are to ask for the deliverance from the evil one and deliver us from evil. That's all there in the Lord's Prayer. 
We are to ask for deliverance from temptation. Watch this. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We must pray, Father, do not let us enter into temptation. How about deliverance from temptation? Uh, um, I'm sorry, for greater faith in Mark. We have this little girl that's in dire straits. And he says to Jesus, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. We should pray for helping God, helping us believe because we all teeter on the edge of unbelief at some point this week. I believe in you, Christ, help my unbelief, root it all out so that I'm full of belief in you. These are the things that we are to pray for. How about wisdom? Solomon prayed for wisdom. James tells us this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. I hear Sermon on the Mount right there. Ask for wisdom from God and it will be given to you. And wisdom is ultimately Jesus Christ. And we could go on, but there's some that I would share with you this morning. We think we may play with some of those tonight when we gather together again. But notice what's missing from these appeals to God, these requests. There's no houses, no boats, no, no oxen, no cars, no deer leases, no bass boats. We see in the Bible people never asking for material things. They're always spiritual things. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We need spiritual things. We need the righteousness of Christ more than anything that this world offers or requires. And when we seek after those things in the heavens with God, all the other things will be taken care of. And I've found that that mostly means that all the material desires that I have when I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, when I seek that and I get it, I don't want those things that I used to crave. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like a fun life. I promise you it's a fun life because I live more satisfied in Christ. And when we're anxious and when we're coveting and and when we're displeased with where we are in life, because we don't have all this stuff, it's not fun. (laughs) It's bondage. It's not fun to live anxious, is it? So when we seek the kingdom of God, all these things are added unto us, which means our interests change and we're satisfied with spiritual things, things of the kingdom of heaven. And the entrapments of this world are far less satisfying. And they wither away and we don't even find ourselves pursuing them anymore. So, this morning I ask you, can you you believe that the creator of everything that's ever existed, that currently exists or that ever will exist, that creator God invites you to call him Father, knock on his door, seek after him, ask him, And then he asks you to pray to him, and he promises that he'll meet your needs.
Can you believe that? That's a God that we gather here every time we're together to worship. That is a good God who gives very, very good gifts. And so Christ in this passage is calling us to fight against despair, fight against prayerlessness because we're too busy or we're uninterested. Fight against that. And we are to pray often. We are to pray without ceasing. And we are to pray with confidence that our God will meet our needs. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads. I'm going to read one verse and I'm going to slide into prayer. But I want you to bow your heads and listen to this verse as I lead us into prayer in concluding our our sermon this morning. I'm going to be reading Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Let's bow. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Father, we come to you through this great high priest, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way that we can come to you. Father, it is Him that we knock on. He is the door. And to those of us that have knocked authentically and genuinely, You have granted entrance. It is through Christ that we seek You, Father, and the Word that He is. And so, Father, I thank You that when we seek Christ and seek You in the Word, we find You. It is Him whose name we pray in. We ask in His name when You're very near to us. And You give us all good things. And they all point to Christ. So Father, I ask that You would cause us to be a people that prays often without ceasing. And with this bold confidence. In the name of Jesus Christ. For His glory and yes, for our good. Amen.